Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 189 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, episodes 40 through 42, where Ed and Al's dad gets his name from a shadow in a jar. Ed's got a real pain in the side, and Al cracks the code by pulling himself together. He's just gotta keep it together. Just keep it together. Just keep it yeah, together. Keep, keep, swimming, it together. keep it together. Just keep it together. Just keep it together. Just keep it together. Keep yeah. it together. Keep it together. This is a weird bit. <laughs> What? <laughs> uh, what are you talking about? I was making a Bowfinger reference for anybody who's never seen that movie. I, I'm sorry for you. Anyways, let's jump in. What's Bowfinger? Have you never seen that movie? It's a fantastic movie. I don't think movie. I've heard of it. Oh shit, man! It's got fucking. It's a Steve Martin movie that's got Eddie Murphy in it. Uh. Um, okay. it's so fucking good. It's like about, uh, this shyster, uh, producer that, uh, is named Bowfinger and he wants uh. to make a movie. Um, but he, uh, basically can never get enough money together or time together or a good enough script. And he finds the script that he likes called chubby rain. <laughs> chubby rain <laughs> um and it's it's called that because it has aliens in 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 the rain um yeah it's, it's fucking ridiculous um okay but eddie eddie murphy plays two different characters in the movie one is a super super popular um movie star and the other oh. one is this like guy that looks He's like this nerdy guy that looks exactly like the movie star guy. Um, and so there's there's a joke about that, but I don't want to give it away. Um, but okay. Eddie Murphy's really famous character that he's playing, um, one of the things that he 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 is like apparently super, super paranoid. Um, and so he he goes to this like cultish uh Scientology-esque thing that he's a part of um, uh-huh. called Mindhead. <laughs> and one of the things about Mindhead is that they're just like, their their uh, their mantra for him is to keep it together. Um, and okay. so he's like, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. And uh, I used to... I used to think that that was one of the funniest fucking things I'd ever seen. And I still think it's super funny, but... You know, this is this is Bowfinger's Bowfinger from 1999. Yeah. All right. According to Just Watch, which, by the way, if you don't know, JustWatch.com is a very, very, very good source for figuring out where you can go to watch shit. So in in America, it looks like you can stream it on something called Max Go. I don't know what that is. Um, it does not look like HBO Max Go, but maybe it is. But it's not probably. It's probably it's HBO. HBO Max. So maybe for the Go version, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't say HBO here. Uh, and then IMDb, IMDb TV, you can watch it with ads, which I think you can access through Amazon Prime. And then you can rent it from all kinds of places. That sounds really good. I, I would like to see that. It's a very funny movie. Anyways. Um, um, I have news uh, it, well, that I cannot well, believe we haven't talked about. <laughs> well, hold, really quick, though. Um, uh uh, Blake may or may not have said that this is episode 89 inside of her opening. Um, I, I believe he said... I think 80, I said 189. I'm pretty sure you said 89. <laughs> I stumbled twice in the opening, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, anyways, what's her news? Pokemon Generation 9. Pokemon Ugh. Scarlet and Violet. <laughs> This was announced a month ago, and I, I was so excited. I talked to my husband because he and I love Pokemon. It's the reason that we started talking in the first place, and now we're married. And uh, my best friend here is into Pokemon, and everybody around me, uh, uh, like, I've, I've got a lot of friends that are into Pokemon and that will talk to me about Pokemon. And so I talked about it a lot. 
And then I was like, wait, I have a podcast with anime news and Pokemon games count as anime news because I'm a Pokemon fan and I don't think I've mentioned it on here. So sorry about that. Uh, Yeah, Generation 9 was revealed uh, about a month ago on Pokemon Day. Uh, Today, we're recording this on March 24th. Uh, You'll hear probably a couple of days after this. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, Our schedule's been a a little weird lately, and, you know, Rashad is a a fucking saint, so he's going to get it when he gets it to us. (laughs) But but we, uh, about a month ago, I think it was like February 22nd or so, they they revealed the release, or the the, uh, teaser trailer, the first reveal trailer for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. That's the ninth generation of Pokemon. This is also still coming to Switch. Um, So this is... uh, what, like the second or third time they've had a generation that hasn't changed consoles after the previous generation. Um, then uh, they did a, a little five minute trailer or so uh, about half of the trailer was this like live action teaser thing that uh, you can, you can totally find some good Easter egg breakdowns on there of people sort of making theories about what the various things in this room mean And then they cut to some game footage and uh, the game looks like an expansion on the most recent Pokemon game, which is Pokemon Legends Arceus, which was a pretty big departure for the series in which the entire world was uh, was made up of open world zones and uh, you could, you know, move your camera freely, move your character uh, freely. And they're just like Pokemon out and about and you go catch them and fight them. And it's it's super cool. Uh, It definitely, I think for most Pokemon fans, it is sort of cashing in the check uh, that the Pokemon company wrote with its premise of being able to go out into the the wilderness and hunt for wild Pokemon. And it just feels really great. Uh, What is missing from it is the big stuff that you find in most main series games, which are, are, you know, your gem quests and stuff like that. Uh, because this is telling a different story, a different type of story, and it's really about just like throwing yourself into this catching mechanic and stuff. Uh, so with Generation Nine, we don't have a ton of information, but we have seen that uh, the Pokemon Company has said that it is a fully open world, and that seems to indicate that unlike Legends Arceus, there are no gates. Um, they specifically, explicitly state that you can seamlessly transition from the wilderness into the towns, which is not something that you can do in Arceus. Um, In Arceus, you have like a home base. And if you want to go to one of the wilderness areas, you have to go through the home base. So if I'm going from the first area to the second one, I've got to go back home and then back out into the area with this. uh, It seems that they are indicating that you will be able to go anywhere at any time. Obviously, you know, based on how your character is able to traverse the landscape, there will be limitations, but um, you'll, you will not have to sort of gate yourself through different portals like you do in Arceus. Um, and, uh, they have noted that you're, uh, there will be gems. So you're going to have the, the, um, more traditional, uh, progression system that we're used to from most Pokemon games, uh, or most main series Pokemon games. And, uh, I believe there's been hints that there will be trainer battles returning. I think you see at least one of those in the trailer, there are trainer battles in Arceus, but they're pretty sparse because of the, the concept of the game. So it seems like basically they are taking the gameplay loop of Arceus, reapplying some of the stuff from the main series game that they took out for Arceus, and creating the next generation of Pokemon. This is what basically everybody wants. Um, this is what we've wanted for a long time. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Also, it is set in a region that's very clearly inspired by Spain. And uh, it looks really cool. It looks like it's very got like lots of sort of tropically Mediterranean locations. Um, it, it definitely sounds like it's going to be a, a fun um, real world place to take a Pokemon region from. And my husband happened to study abroad in Spain for a year. So he's extra excited about that uh, because he knows he like like the opening of the trailer, he was like, oh, I've been there. I know what that is. And he like pulled up a picture of it and you can tell that it's based off of that location. So um, he's pretty excited. I'm pretty excited. It's going to be dope. Well, that's all for this episode of Pokemon Talk with Blake <laughs> Doris. Um, but, How did uh, I go this long without mentioning it on this show? What the hell? I don't know. I don't know. Do at me. Punish me for this. Anyways. Uh... 
let's uh let's talk about anime so uh without further ado we watched some episodes of fullmetal alchemist and let's talk about them what happened previously blake well this is the hard part about fullmetal alchemist (laughs) the more episodes we watch the more complicated the previously on gets so at its core (laughs) fullmetal alchemist brotherhood is about two brothers (laughs) uh one of them (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh one of them is named edward and one of them is named alphonse uh they are on a quest to find a previously thought mythical item called the philosopher's stone uh so that they can restore their bodies to the way that their bodies used to be before a terrible accident um specifically their mother died of an, a disease and they as young children who also happen to be prodigies in alchemy uh, decided to try and bring her back because alchemy is all about taking these sort of like components of something and reshaping them. And they thought if we take all the things that make up a human body and reshape it into our mom, she'll be alive again. Uh, and that did not work. Uh, there's also this concept in alchemy called equivalent exchange, which is if you want to achieve something, you have to give up something of equal value. And uh, the thing they were trying to achieve was a human life. And so they completely inadvertently gave up uh, Al's entire human body. (laughs) And uh, Ed lost an arm and a leg trying to get him back and was able to basically grab his soul from the afterlife and graft it onto a disembodied suit of armor. So now Al is a spirit bonded to a suit of armor and Ed has a prosthetic arm and leg and they would like to restore themselves to their uh, pre-mistake versions. Um, Unfortunately, because of the law of equivalent exchange, uh, you can't just go about doing that unless I guess you're a son of a bitch, but they are not. They're good people and they don't want to take somebody else's arm and leg so that they can have their own. So uh, they are on a quest to find the Philosopher's Stone because the thing about the Philosopher's Stone is that it is said to be able to get around equivalent exchange. You can use it and you can break alchemy open, do big, big, big things that you shouldn't be able to do because the equivalent exchange rules are no longer applicable to your situation. Um, Since then, they've discovered that there's a bit of an asterisk there in that the Philosopher's Stone does kind of let you get around equivalent exchange because it paid upfront. So this is a prepaid visa. Uh, for alchemy in that uh, you pay for it by sacrificing a lot of unwitting people and creating a stone out of the, you know, lives of, I don't know, a small country or region. And uh, so they figured this out. They've decided that philosopher's stones are maybe not a super cool thing to have. And uh, in the process, they've discovered that their government, uh, the country of Amistris, is run by a shadow organization of alchemically created human-like beings called homunculus, or homunculi for the plural. The homunculi are, um, like I said, alchemically created. They are not people, but they, they are, you know, alive and humanoid. Uh, and at least one of them was a person but was turned into a homunculus and this is done through the use of philosopher's stones and by combining them with like human bodies and stuff like that uh and these these people are bad they are doing bad stuff what they really really want what we've sort of deduced recently is that they would like to turn the entire country of amestris into a giant transmutation circle which is the symbol that you use to do alchemy most most of the time Uh, when you do that transmutation circle on a countrywide scale, you can turn everybody into that country into a component for your Philosopher's Stone and make a big one. And uh, that seems to be what the baddies are on about. Since Ed and Al have discovered that Philosopher's Stones uh, use human lives, they don't think that that's a good plan and they would like for it not to happen. So they're kind of working against that here. Um, in, in their travels, they have been somewhat foiled by the Fuhrer of their country, which is the leader of their country, um, who is the half-homunculus, half-human. And he figured out their plans and has sort of uh, threatened some of their loved ones with being functionally 
hostages if the boys continue to try work against him. So they're trying to work against him in secret while continuing their body restoration research, which he's totally chill with. Uh, they made their way to the north to a big, a big, big wall that was keeping out a country to the north and their aggression. Um, there they met a woman uh, named Olivier Armstrong, who is a total hard ass, but is also a definitely a certified good guy. When she finds out that the baddies are trying to, you know, run the sh- run the government from the sidelines for their own interests, she totally kills one of the dudes who spills those beans and then uh, sort of plans her own methods for how to stop this shit because she has a sense of justice that is is awfully righteous. Um, let's see, who else do you need to know? Oh, uh, the homunculi answer to this guy named Father. Um, and father happens to be an exact lookalike of Ed and Al's dad. We, the viewers, have discovered that Ed and Al's dad, which is a dude named Hohenheim, is a different person. I don't remember if Ed and Al know that yet. I, they may or may not be under the impression that father is their dad. Uh, I don't know, actually. Um, Hohenheim, um, father, uh, there's a guy, a guy named Kimbley who is not a homunculus, but is kind of working for them because he is a sadistic murder guy. And, uh, he just feels like the homunculi are down with him doing some sadistic murders. And so he's on their team. Uh, oh yeah. Scar is a guy who was on a quest to kill alchemists as retribution for a genocide that the country of a master's committed on his people, the Ishvalans. Um, he has teamed up with a girl named May who comes from a country named Shing across a big desert. They have a thing called Alkahestry, which seems to work similar to, but not quite the same as alchemy. And they are now studying Alkahestry and the alchemical notes left over by Scar's brother to try and crack the case on how to stop all this nonsense with the homunculi. Uh, and Ed and Al are sort of swirling around that group. I think that's basically everything. The homunculi are named after the seven deadly sins, so we'll talk about them a little bit here. I think that's everything you need to know. So that's uh, that's going to take us in episode 40. All right. So now we got to talk about episode 40, which is called Homunculus, the Dwarf and the Flask. And this episode, we uh, find out all about the the past and where hum- the homunculus come from. Um, but before that, um, we have to first get a, uh, a, a quick rundown in, in present time, I guess, uh, before uh-huh. we get that flashback. Um, so Armstrong is going to report to the Fuhrer in central. Um, she's going to, uh, very quickly say a couple of things inside of her head where she's just like, I've got to admit that something happened with Raven, but I have to make it. The guy s- she killed. Yeah. I have to make it seem like I wanted to do it so that I could be a part of his big plot um, so that he knows that I'm you know, I'm going to be down with what he's doing. So he doesn't just murder me. Um, but I also need to not give away everything because if I give away everything, then he, he might know that, you know, I'm not on the up and up. Um, uh-huh. or I guess the down and down with him, uh, whatever, <laughs> but, uh, down and down. So she's just like, yeah, I killed Raven because he was incompetent. And uh, he's just like, well, are you on board with what we're doing? And she's like, yes, I'm on board with what we're doing. Um, And he's like, okay. And then there's this great shot of him where he's like, you can see his eye from below where it's like lit up red. And he's just like, good. That makes things easier. And it makes it to where I don't have to deal with you. And it's just like, oh, yeah. She was completely correct. He was just going to murder her if if she said the wrong thing inside of this room. Oh, yeah. But she's too smart for that. And so she, like, puts on this show of being just as much of a bastard as he and the guy that she killed and all these people in the government are. And it's it's so great. She's such a good character. And she is basically not in these episodes. I mean, we've we've had a couple of episodes in a row uh, in which she has been pretty at the forefront. 
Uh, and I, like I said, I've never actually watched through the end of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, but I have seen a little ways past this. And I know that she, she comes back into play here. Like the fact that she's in central is relevant, uh, but this is all we're going to see of her today. But like, what a dope ass character. Like she's a hard ass, but she, I don't want to say heart of gold because I think that that indicates that maybe she's the hard assness isn't as hard as it really is. Uh, but she she has this strong sense of right and wrong, this strong sense of justice, and this intense duty to uphold that justice. But she also knows that politics is a game. And sometimes the correct play in politics is to say what you believe. And sometimes the correct play in the politics is to gain power so that you can say what you believe. And she is pulling that second card by pretending to be interested in this villainous plot and pretending to be as corrupt as the other people who have joined the plot. And because she has this reputation as a hard ass and that only the people that have worked under her who are deeply loyal to her know that that hard assness is, is hiding this sense of sort of like positive justice. She has this reputation that precedes her that allows him to believe this lie. And she fucking knows that. And she manipulates him. And it's awesome. And it's so genius. Yeah. Then we're going to get another genius moment where um, Hawkeye and Mustang are going to meet and eat at a table and have a seemingly innocuous conversation about what's going on inside of their lives. However, at the same time that they are talking, they're knocking on the table and basically telling each other there's a code that you need to take from these lists that they're giving to each other. Um, And so uh, she communicates with Hawkeye or sorry, um, she communicates with Mustang that uh, that Salim is a homunculus, and uh, there's this He's great not just a boy. He's a yeah. monster. So there's this great scene where where Mustang afterwards is in the bathroom and he's writing down exactly what he's figured out on a piece of paper. And he's like, oh, shit. And then he's just like, OK, well, nobody can see this. So he burns the piece of paper over the toilet um, uh-huh. and by, you know, snapping it because that's what he does. Um, yeah. And uh, it's just it's it's like a great spy moment. Um, yeah, and it's it, like when Jim and Pam learned Morse code to mess with Dwight. It's that. just, it's the same. Anyways. It's exactly the same. They're, it's actually the exact same scene, same dialogue, the whole thing. Yeah, it's the same. It's, <laughs> yeah. They even play that theme at like, the very God, beginning of what's going on. Fucking guy? <laughs> um, oh, man. So, so then we get the heart of this episode, which is that um, uh, we're, we're going to see uh, our our friend Hohenheim go down memory lane um, and he's just going to remember all the things that happened to him when he was in this really old, old town um, called Called Xerxes, Xerxes, right? Yeah. And he originally, it seems like was a slave inside of this very, very old town um, for a, a master, um, uh, master alchemist. I don't know if they called yeah. themselves alchemists at the time, um, but they were. It's a little vague. Yeah, they they were sorcerers. I think is what they were. Ta- the way that they talk about them, um, and he's not apprenticing for the sorcerer. He just is owned by the sorcerer, and it turns out this sorcerer um, has used his alchemy ability to create a homunculus inside of a flask. And the way that he also used the slave's blood to help create the homunculus. Yeah. And that's the reason why this homunculus that's in this flask um, is so, is so attached to slave 23, because the thing that gave him life was the blood that was taken from this person. And so he has a connection with this person. So he's just like, Hey, So what I'll do is I'm going to work with you and I am going to provide you knowledge because you gave me life by giving me your your essence in your blood. And he's just like, okay. Um, and he's just like, well, I can't I can't work with you if you don't if you're not considered to be a human. 
So I need you to have a name. And he's just like, well, I don't have a name. I have a number. And he's just like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a name. And so he names him Van Hohenheim. Um, and uh, he tries to name him something else. And Hohenheim is like, nah, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so because he has a name now, um, the homunculus is just like, so now I'm going to gift you the gift of knowledge. Um, and so he's like, that's great. So we take, we take, very a, biblical. we take a walk with them through, uh, the history of Hohenheim, learning all of this stuff about alchemy. And then at the same time, we're learning that this sorcerer is working for the, uh, king or I guess emperor of this region. Yeah. Um, and that emperor inside of this region wants eternal life. Um, so you know, remember Jing from Shing? That's what he wants too. Um, yeah, everybody wants to live forever. Yeah. Everybody wants to rule the world. Well, it takes a really long time for Hohenheim to get completely trained up. But um, when Hohenheim is what looks like in his like 50s, um, maybe like late 40s, early 50s. Um, yeah, it's always hard to tell with, you know, characters animated in a the simplistic yeah. style of anime. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he's been training for a really long time. And at the same time, the homunculus has been telling them that they need to, in order to get eternal life, they need to create this massive, massive, massive transmutation circle. This thing that we have seen before. And we know about this because one of the things that is going to create is it's going to create a philosopher's stone. However, it seems like this one that they're creating is much, much larger. And also it, it is around it. There's like multiple genocides that are happening five to be specific. There's like Uh really horrible death tolls at each one of these genocides around this. And at the very genocide. center of it, genocide, genocide. I'm not hearing it. <laughs> and at the very, at the very center of it, there is this temple um, in Xerxes, and they're like, okay, so if you I guess stand, it's the palace, isn't it? Yeah, and if you stand at the center of this, you will not be harmed. Instead, you will be gifted eternal life. And so, I, I'm not even sure that they realize. That harm will come because I I think his advisors, there's a lot of advisors to the king that are surprised that they start to drop dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I think that definitely he omitted some of that information. I think what he told the king is if you stand at the center, you will be made immortal. And he left out the part where uh, where it will kill everyone around you in order to to achieve that. Um, He also left out something else that the king gets a little surprised by here. Yeah, so the king is standing in one place, and he and Hohenheim are standing in a slightly different place, and the king starts to see everybody die, and he's just like, well, I'm standing in the center, so I'll be fine, and then he starts to die, and then uh, the homunculus is just like, uh, I said that if you're standing in the center, you would be uh, completely fine and receive eternal life. But what I didn't tell him is where we're standing is actually the center of the circle. Uh-huh. And so he, Hohenheim, yeah, Hohenheim and Homunculus are the only ones that are spared when this is activated and the door is open and a giant eye opens underneath them. Um, and Homunculus and Hohenheim are swallowed up inside of it. Um, and then on the other side of this uh this alchemical circle being activated um hohenheim wakes up and everyone around him inside of this city is dead they're just laying there without uh, you know they they they're there but dead so you can uh, sort of assume that either their essence or their soul or something has been ripped from them um and the only one there is hohenheim and hohenheim this other yeah. Hohenheim that is standing there and staring at him. And he's just like, what the fuck is happening? And a homunculus is just like, you gave me life. So I gave you knowledge. And because you gave me a body, I decided to give you a body back as well. 
and it's eternally uh it's an eternal living body and he's just like i didn't want it like this and he's just like well you didn't get a choice number 23 um uh-huh. and he's just yeah, like it's... have fun living forever bye <laughs> uh-huh. i love i love a con story and there it's just like you know, it can be sort of darkly satisfying to see the plan click together. It's the same reason why like heist movies are really fun when you see the the plan sort of like clicking. And uh, this is that great reveal where it's like this has all been a trick, which you kind of get the impression of, because since this is a flashback so far into the series, you're like some dark shit's going to happen. And also, if you've been paying attention, we know that a terrible thing happened at Xerxes that nobody does. Nobody knows exactly what happened, but that one day, mysteriously, everyone vanished. This is that story. <laughs> and so you kind of know going in at this point in the series that this is not going to end well. But this is such a cool sequence of events to show like this this homunculus manipulated events through the use of like clever placement of information and clever omission of information to get Hohenheim to play right into his hands. Hohenheim thought he was helping a king become immortal and was like, sure, why not? What he was actually doing was killing the king and everybody around the king to make himself immortal so that the homunculus could become immortal with a human body so that he didn't have to get carried around in a jar forever. And that was what this was really all about. And it's so cool. Yeah. It's, it's, we it's, get to come. It's, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. We come, we come back into the present uh, and we see Hohenheim in the now times. He, of course, looks exactly the same because that was the moment that he stopped aging. Uh, he encounters Izumi, who is a woman that taught at an al- alchemy when they were much younger. Um, she has been kind of sickly periodically, and I believe we already knew this, but she does explicitly state in this scene that she sacrificed her internal organs when she attempted to revive her child that died. Uh, Hohenheim has like super duper alchemy. We've seen Ed utilize alchemy without creating a transmutation circle he's able to just clap a few other characters have been able to do this uh, as a result of sort of seeing to the other side they call it seeing the truth and all of a sudden you have this sort of innate understanding that of alchemy that does not force you to draw a transmutation circle before you use the transmutation uh hohenheim takes that one step further he doesn't even clap he just puts his hand on her does some alchemy Uh, It's also not really that easy to do alchemy on a human, but he does it with basically no challenge. And he's like, look, I can't give you back your organs, but I can rearrange what you got in there so that the blood will flow a little bit better and so that you don't have so much pain constantly. And she's like, this is crazy. Who are you? And he's like, I am a philosopher's stone in the form of a human. Yep. And And that's awesome. That takes us that takes us into episode forty one, the abyss. Um, this episode uh, is is wild. Um, this episode uh, is uh, first and foremost a episode where everybody wants to kill Kimberly except for Ed because Ed doesn't want to kill anybody, um, and it makes it it it, it makes it to where. Ed becomes the person that is unable to unable to pull the trigger and actually kill somebody. And because of that, he runs into the superhero slash Spider-Man problem, which is that if you don't kill the people that want to kill you, eventually they're going to come back and they're going to continue to fuck with you. Um, and yeah. so that is going to happen with, uh, with this is, Kimberly. This is, this is actually the hero or good guy problem in all media and also real life. Yeah. Not that you have to kill your enemies, but that if somebody is doing a bad thing and you can stop them, you should probably stop them. Mm-hmm. Cause if you don't stop them, they're going to keep doing the bad thing because they have shown that they would rather do the bad thing then follow the rules and you as a hero or good guy or whatever have an inherent desire to follow the rules. And that makes you less powerful than the bad people. 
And in stories, it usually works out. And in real life, it's not working out very well. Yeah. So here's what's going on. Uh, first, there is the B storyline. Uh, the B storyline is uh, Scar and uh, the other uh, the other people that he's traveling with, uh, May and, um, uh, you know, uh, Winry and, uh, and what's his dumb Marco, face. <laughs> and then the guy with... Yeah, the guy with the mustache. <laughs> yeah, um, and they're traveling along, and uh, they they leave from these tunnels that they were in beforehand, and they run into Al, who's buried in the snow. And they're like, what's going on, Al? And Al is just like, I tried to run ahead and catch you so that you uh, would, wouldn't be uh, taken care of and dealt with by Kimberly, uh, who wants to catch you on the way out and murder you. And they're like, well, well that's also, that's- also because they are returning to Fort Briggs for safety mm-hmm. because Olivier was in charge there, but she is not in charge there anymore. Her, her soldiers have been replaced by a contingency that is loyal to Kimberly and to the bad actors in the capital. And so they don't know this. And if they go to Fort Briggs, they will be walking into a trap. Yeah. So, um, at the same time, uh, Ed is, uh, tracking down Kimberly to have a confrontation with him while miles, the, uh, Lieutenant for, um, Armstrong is just like, we need to kill Kimberly. So let's set up snipers and shoot him while he is walking past. Well, instead of that, uh, they are interrupted by Ed and uh, Kimberly slams into the ground and makes all of the snow around them explode and turn into water vapor, um, which makes a big cloud of like, you know, a cloud of water vapor. Um, And they can't see through it. They can't see through the smoke. And so... um, they're like, well, shit, we can't, we, we can't shoot up there, um, and not know exactly what we're looking for. So we need to hold off for now. Um, and it turns out that, uh, Ed is just like, well, I'll find Kimberly through this. But the two people that were traveling with Kimberly as his bodyguards are two men that are actually homunculus as well. One of them is like a gorilla uh, homunculus. Not, not him make this, uh, Chimera. Uh, one, one is like a gorilla chimera and the other one is like a lion chimera and they are trained to fight in low visibility. Um, and so this is a place where they can fight really well, but is not a really good place for Ed to fight. So Ed's like, fuck, I got to get out of here. Um, he runs away and gets to part of like the mining section um and over there is just like a whole bunch of tnt that is not exploded um because they're like well it's covered in water so it's it's not going to be of any use to you and he's just like it's like relatively inert there's a there's a great science lesson as well where as just like and it's just like well what's tnt made of and the the two chimeras are just like well obviously it's made of this and this and this and he's just like and what do you get if you change this um to this ammonia part of it and they're just like what are you talking about? He's just like, you get ammonia gas. And it, the shot of the shot of him is just with like two things up his nose all of a sudden. And they're just like, what? <laughs> and he explodes it. And it's just like him setting off a giant fart bomb. Um, well, it's, it's toxic gas. It's knockout gas. Well, no, it's not. It's so ammonia gas. You're not supposed to breathe it in, obviously. Um, but right. what it will do to you um, is it'll basically make you sick. But what it does to them um, is that they have super heightened senses as these chimera um, so that they can smell everything super strongly. So they're hit with like a stink bomb that is so strong that it knocks them out. Um, yeah. And then Ed is going to catch up with Kimberly, and Kimberly's just like, you cut my hands but I have a philosopher's stone, so I don't need to use my hands specifically with the transmutation circles in order to use my abilities. And uh, you could have just stabbed and killed me, but you didn't. And Ed's just like, well, it's, I'm, not, I'm going to take you back and I'm going to take care of you. 
and he's like, this is why you fail. And he explodes the ground underneath Ed and Ed falls with the chimera into this mine shaft. And Ed is just like, oh, fuck, I need to go deal with Kimberly still. So maybe I should wait. I can't move for some reason. And he looks down and he is either fallen or a pylon has fallen on top of him and cut him through the center of his body. And he's just like, yeah, he's been oh, run through. Fuck. I don't know if I'm going to, I'm going to make it. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then, oh God, I've got the hiccups in the middle of an episode. I don't know if this has this ever happened great. before. Anyways. It's top quality. Um, it cut to Alphonse, who in the middle of walking with this gang, suddenly loses consciousness and sees his body on the other side. And he is not able to respond to them. And Winry starts freaking out. Everybody starts freaking out. And they're like, what the fuck is happening? And then uh, cut back to Ed, who like regains consciousness enough so that he can use his ability to break the chimeras free because they're covered in rubble. And they're just like, why did you save me? And he's just like, so that you can pull this thing out of my body because I can't do it myself. And they're like, well, why shouldn't we just kill you? And he's just like, well, I saved your life, so I was hoping that maybe you wouldn't kill me. And they're like, uh-huh. well, I guess we're not loyal to Kimberly anymore because he didn't fucking care about us anyways, and he was just going to kill us. Yeah. Um, so they're like, well, we'll help you. And so they pull the the uh, pipe out of his body um, while at the same time he's just like, I have to remember how to do human alchemy. And the way that I do this is to think of myself and my life force as a philosopher's stone and think of my energy as the energy that I am using in order to close and protect myself. And the thing that it is going to do is it's going to take years off of my life in order to do this. But it, I, it, I need to do this in order to survive this moment. And so right. as they're like pulling, take a few years off the end of my life, or all years off of my life currently. Yeah, and so he gets the pole pulled out of his body and closes it back up, and they're just like, "Well, okay, don't you need to go see a real doctor now?" And he's just like, "No, I need to go deal with." Uh, and before he can get out what he's supposed to deal with, which is Kimberly. Um, he passes out and the chimeras are just like, okay, we need to take this fucker to a doctor. And that takes us yeah. into episode 42 signs of a counter offense. And this one, this one is, Oh man, <laughs> this one has like yeah, I mean, the most, the most easy code to break. <laughs> it has the what? The code that they break is just like, Oh yeah. It's just like it feels like the the end of a like a Scooby Doo episode where they're just like, oh, it was on the paper the whole time. If you just flip it, it over, <laughs> it's not that simple, but it does feel less satisfying than you're hoping for. Yeah. Well, let's first talk because, about the the B plot line because the sure. the B plot line is uh Hohenheim uh, arriving at this uh city that we have seen before where there was a um a false prophet and uh after the false yeah, prophet yeah, after the false prophet was taken away in Lior, um the water that was underneath this temple turned foul and toxic um so you can no longer go into this water that's underneath it um and so hohenheim is just like well i'm gonna go in there real quick by making a bridge that appears in front of me um don't worry about it uh i'm gonna go by myself and don't follow me um, and he goes down there, he goes into this tunnel and he is immediately interrupted, um, by pride. Um, and pride is going to start coming at him really fast until he backs up. Yeah. Pride is a, is a shadow monster essentially. Yeah. And he backs up into this part of the tunnel. Um, and, uh, well, he tries to fight pride first by like, closing off different pieces and stabbing through pride. And that's quickly yeah, shown to not work. He's not so much fighting him. 
it's not the desperate battle of survival that you would expect. He's more doing science where he's like, okay, well, that didn't work. I guess let's try if this works. Well, yeah. That didn't work either. That's interesting. And when he reaches the end of this tunnel opening that he uh, he has, um, it suddenly Pride can't go any further. And he's just like, oh, so this is the end of your container. So it looks like you have a container that you can travel inside of that is the edges of this tunnel city. And he's just like, so you can't travel outside of this. So tell the homunculus, my, uh, the, the one in the jar that yeah. I'm coming for the guy you. We know his father. Yeah. And he's just like, he's just like, tell him this message that I'm coming for you and I'm going to deal with you. And he's just like, well, um, doesn't that make you angry? And Pride is just like, I don't have anger inside of me. And he's just like, oh, well, you're obviously the same as you were before because you kept the same shape of yourself from before. So this is your pride and this is that piece of you. And then we get like a shot of Homunculus sitting there um, just looking pissed off inside of a seat because he's getting this information from Pride, you know, basically instantaneously because they're all part of him. Yeah. Man, um, it's a great fucking sequence. Um, it's really, really good. And it's re- it really gets you pumped for what's coming. Yeah. So, yeah, the A plot, Al, Al wakes up from having been passed out and he, he has been broken down into pieces. Uh, because they didn't know why he was passed out, and he is, you know, a suit of armor without a body inside of it, so they, they took the armor apart because uh, he's heavy, and they didn't know how to carry him to the shelter that they're currently in. And then uh, they they have this little booklet that where Scar's brother, who was an alchemical uh, researcher, uh, made this book, and the thing about alchemists is that they generally speak in code, and so if, you know, a lot of alchemists will use like uh, recipes and those recipes you have, you know, you have uh, a cipher, I think it's called, that helps you break the code. And once you know, you know, X means Y, then you can translate those recipes into alchemical recipes and uh, or, or alchemical, you know, writings and figure out what they're actually saying. Um, so his brother has done this, but he's not using the traditional methods of... Um, of coding and and they don't know what he's trying to say. And they're all looking at this and Al's like, you got to put me back together. And they all start putting him back together. And then May looks at the book of Scar's brother's notes and is like, Oh, you have to put it together. And so she uh, undoes the binding of the book and dumps it out onto the ground. And is like, we have to rearrange these pages and they, they have read through the notes. And so they know that there is a, there are several words that are repeated multiple times and they deduce that they need to line those words up, like line up the pages so that the words on one page intersect with where the word is on the next page, which creates this sort of like beautiful mind jumble on, on the floor. And then they figure out, I don't don't remember even all the steps of all this, they, they figure out after putting it into a jumble that there is some other trick to how they need to like properly arrange it. And then, or, or like there's some other thing where they're like, now this word, we have to connect this word on this page to the other instances of it on the other page that are currently visible. Now that we have arranged all those pages based off of matching words. And when they connect to that, it is a transmutation circle, very familiar symbol to us at this point. And they're like, okay, this seems to have to do with the big transmutation circle plot that we have figured out that the baddies are trying to enact, but it doesn't really like answer our questions on like finding a way to stop them. And then how do they figure out that they are supposed to turn it over? It's really weird. They're like, there's this moment when Al is just sitting there thinking about it and he's like, oh, we, we have to turn it over. And then they do and then they redraw the circle by matching up other words or something or maybe the same word but now on the turned over sides and when they do that 
they get an alkahest recircle, and they're like, oh, this is this is a circle that will will cancel out a transmutation circle, and we are going to use that to cancel out the big bad transmutation circle of the baddies, and that's the trick. Yep. Um, it, it's a it's a long walk, uh, for a medium drink of water. <laughs> Yeah, so apparently while they were doing this, uh, at the same time, uh, Kimberly has been doing a fuck ton more because Kimberly has gone all the way to Drachma and been like, hey, uh, all of you need to attack Fort Briggs. It's open right now. Um, and they he basically got all of the Drachma troops into a giant formation and started to get them to march on Fort Briggs. And... Uh, they're like, yeah, there's oh, a fuck. Thing called, there's a thing called a blood seal. And Spencer alluded to this earlier with like the, the sort of like genocide, bloody, bloody wars, whatever, that have taken place in various places around Xerxes in our, in our flashback episode. But we have heard about this as well in the modern plot that there are these atrocities of which the, the massacre of Scar's people, the Ashvalans, was one of them that creates this thing called a blood seal that seems to be part of this transmutation circle thing. And I believe that maybe the Fort Briggs blood seal is the last one they need before the circle can get active. Mm. And essentially all you have to do is have a bunch of people die in that space. And then it becomes a blood seal. And once you have the blood seals in the right places around the circle, the circle can be active and then you can do the horrible thing by killing everybody. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, they let Envy know where Marco is. And that's, uh, that's the episodes. Uh, yeah. Stick with us There's after a these lot going on in this show, but it's real good. Yeah. Stick with us after these credits and we'll talk about what's coming on next week. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 13 sound wizard. 13? Did he jump even more levels? He gained a lot of experience by defeating the Dark Lord of Smooth Jazz. Do you mean Chuck Mangione from King of the Hill? Rashad is the King of the Hill now. Damn it, Bobby. Anyway, our podcast is ad-free, and if you want to keep it that way, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at Reddit.com slash R slash Get Jumped. Also, we have a Discord server. You can find the links to that on all of our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New review episodes come out every Monday, and new rewatch episodes appear every Friday. And hey, thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Jeremy Snow, owner and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind. We interrupt your awesome, regularly scheduled programming to ensure you're aware of The Geekly Grind podcast network, of which this show is a treasured member of. If you haven't had a chance to check out our site, you can do so at thegeeklygrind.com, and while you're there, take a look at the other members of our steadily growing podcast family, including the anime-centric Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, discovering new heroes on comic book keepers with Chris and Lance, exploring the vast universe of geekdom with Geeksploration, or appreciating animation's finer details with JD's Ink and Paint Club. Escape your weekly grind at the Geekly Grind. Next time on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Mob Psycho 102, Episode 1. You, uh, you, you ready to, uh, feel some things because this, uh, comedy is about to grow up a little bit. <laughs> oh. So, uh, get, get excited. Fine.